Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. That's me. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative people and how they do their thing, how they hang in. I love to talk about that stuff. And this week, I have a very good friend of mine who has embarked on the most fun pandemic hobby that I can think of. His name is Scott T. Henson, and his hobby is creating music countdowns like you would hear back in the day with Casey Kasem, like American Top 40. He started doing this as sort of a hobby or just something he wanted to do, and it turns out he's super good at it. They're super entertaining. Uh, He's been posting them on SoundCloud, and I love listening to them. So I've been wanting to talk to him about his countdowns and why he's doing it. And just to give you an example of what it's like, here is a little excerpt of one of his countdowns. Now, when I hear this song, I immediately think vinyl because it was on the very first album I ever bought with my very own money at Musicland in the Monroe Mall when I was just a kid. The album, Why Olivia's Greatest Hits, Volume 2, Thank You Very Much. And here is Miss Newton-John at number five on My 70s Countdown with her smash hit, The Furiously Sultry, A Little More Love. See, how fun is that? Aren't you hooked? Don't you want to know what number one is? It's awesome. So before we get to the interview with Scott, I want to remind you that there are now two ways that you can enjoy Dennis Anyone, the podcast. You can listen as you always have uh, through your ever, whatever podcast app you love, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. And, and what that means is that for $12.95 a month, you get access to my show 48 hours earlier than the regular riffraff people. And you also get a whole bunch of other great shows like Derek and Romaine, Perfect Date with Tom Goss, The Adam Sank Show, The Focus Group. There's a lot of great shows, and you get to support me and the other podcasters uh, on the network because I'll get a little kickback if you say that the show that you listen to the most is Dennis Anyone. Also, because of that, I've got a lot of great technical support from Derek and Romaine and their crew, AJ and JB. They make it sound much better than it's ever sounded before. So it's very fun for me to be part of this bigger umbrella. And it's so nice to not just be me um, with my little recorder and stuff and it's just cool i'm really excited to be part of that and if you want to support dnr studios you can at dnrstudios.com you can also download the app for the iphone and um check it out all right also because of that i have a voicemail now so you can leave a number a message and i might play it on the show which i have done in the past uh, few weeks so that number is one 647 9653 and call and leave a message. Um, if there's something about this show, about the countdown, about your favorite songs that you want to share, um, leave me a message. I love it. All right, here without any further ado, it's our guest this week, Scott T. Henson. Joining me now via Zoom, it's my old dear friend, Scott T. Henson. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dennis. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you because we share a similar obsession that we're going through at the same time. You are an an actor and a filmmaker, but you did a pandemic project that I think might be my favorite pandemic project. You started creating musical countdowns like we used to hear back in the day from Casey Kasem. So what sparked this idea? You know, I think think it came from... uh, 80s on 8 XM, Sirius XM. So you were listening because to Sirius XM, hearing 80s on 8. Do they play actual countdowns on there, or did it just get you nostalgic? 
No, they do countdowns once a week. The three of them uh, record different parts of a countdown, and every week they do a different uh, date in the 80s, and you tune in and you find out what the date was. But I think the top... I think it's top 40 that they do. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't listened in a while, but I was really into that sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, and I you know, found a lot of hope in the excitement of finding out what the next week's show was going to be and what the date was and what the songs were going to be and listening to Mark Goodman's voice. And that got me to thinking about, well, what are my favorite songs from the 80s? I decided to put together a countdown and I've done three of them so far, one from the 80s, one from the 90s, and then I went back to the 70s. Right. And you didn't just like scrawl a few notes on a napkin. You had a system. So oh, when you were no. deciding how I'm going to do my 80s countdown, which is what you call it, my 80s countdown, and I love how personal it is, what is your system for how am I going to figure out what the songs are? Well, okay, so the, it's a little involved. I'll yes, try, I love it. I'll try to speed it up. Uh, the first thing I do is I go through the, the uh, Billboard Year and the Hot 100 songs for every single year of the decade. Right. And then, uh, it, and it's a process of, of not what is my favorite song on this list, but is there anything that I remotely like or somewhat love on this list? Right. So I start there. So you go with I, yeses or maybes? Like these, you just I, rule out, you, exactly. you get rid of the riffraff. If it's, uh, if it's not a hard no, yeah. it goes on the list. Right? right. And then I go to a website that lists the top 40 for each week of a decade. So I go through every single week of a decade and I look at the top 40 to see if anything that I like or love did not end up charting at the end of a year. Right. And That's an extra that, step that is not necessary. But you but do it, it because it is... Because but yes. sometimes a song that's really good did not make the year-end Hot 100. Right. And that's why I do it. For example, I'm working on the 60s show now. And right. there's a song by the Toys that I love called A Lover's Concerto. And that song did not chart at the end of a year on the Hot 100, but it was on the weekly top 40. And if I had not done that research, I would have completely forgotten about the song. So once I'm done with my top 40s, then I move on to my personal collection, you know, tapes, CDs, 45s, LPs, and I look through there to see if there's anything that I missed. Right. And then that gives me a great big list of songs. And then I go through it and I start doing yes, no, maybe, yes, no, maybe, yes, no, maybe. And I keep cutting the list down and I cut the list down until I cannot get it down any further, which is usually around 40 to 50 songs. Wow. And then now it's time to kill your babies. That's when I get out the index cards. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so what do the index cards do? Okay, so on one side of the index card, I write down the name of the song. Then I flip the card over and I rate. I listen to the song, and I rate it on a scale of one to ten in the following categories: music, lyrics, vocal performance. Then I move on to nostalgic feeling, and then I give it a rating for the song in general. And then I average out all of those numbers, and that gives me a number like 7.8, 9.4, whatever. And uh, then I, uh, I don't flip the cards over. I leave the numbers showing face up so that I know what song is on the back side of the card. That's so I, interesting. You don't want to be... Um, no, I biased. don't want to know, and I don't want to be influenced. The most exciting thing is when I 
I'm done and I put all of the cards in number order and I start flipping them over and I'm like, my 20th favorite song is this. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. So sometimes I don't know what the number one song is. I will think that it's going to be this, but it ends up being that. Right. Well, I know who you love very, very much. So I had a feeling about both the number one songs of the 70s and the 80s and I was right. Or the 70s and the 90s. And I was like, okay. um, I think... I know Scott. I know who he loves. I feel like this shot's, this song's got a real shot, but I don't want to give anything away like that. Um, so then you have your top 20. What impresses me about the whole production is you have little bumpers like you would have heard on the radio, like those little, little delicious, da 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 da. You have a theme song and then you have little, um, background music. Like you really go all the way. Where did you get oh, your bumpers well, from? The, the process is not done yet. So oh, oh, I'm now, sorry. Yeah. I'm skipping ahead. When I get my 20 songs, right. then I have to go back and research the actual song. And find out fun and facts and stuff. That gives me trivia and chart positions and interesting things like that that I can put into the show as well as uh, any personal connection to that, to, that I have to the music itself. And then I take all of that and I start writing a script. And um, my uh, bumpers and sound effects come from... Sound stripe and sound snap. I think that's where I get them. Well, they sound so legit. They sound so real. I'm like, this is a real countdown. And your performance, you have a real great voice and delivery for this. Did you know you would? I did not. Of all of the things. I think this happened. should be your job. I think you should do this all the time for me. I, I don't have, I can't pay you, but I think you should do it full time for me. And I, I didn't really ever consider doing anything with my voice ever in life ever and um there's a there's a a thing about it that happens with the microphone that i didn't know was there and the first time i put the show together with the 80s i was like wow i think i have a good voice for this well and you can hear you making choices like if i go up like this then i can come down like this and i can bring into that little gravelly part of my voice like i can hear you discovering that as i listen to it and it's very pleasing to the ear well it it's a conscious choice when i sit down with the script to record i record um three different takes of each block of narration and then i go back and decide which one I like the best, and I delete the other two. Wow, you and you do three takes no matter what. That is correct. Just wow. To try different going up, going down, inflection, uh, this and that. Um, or sometimes there's a car going by that I don't realize when I'm recording. That kind right. of thing. Um, but it's, um, I'm very specific with the microphone. I record late at night or very right. early in the morning because we live in a high rise and it's noisy. And um, because I record later early, I like to kind of speak intimately and quietly. Yeah, it's so got that after dark kind of feel to it. I love it. That's sort of how I discovered the sound that's in my voice that I didn't really know was there. And I do, I do work to get into that part of my voice while I'm doing the show. Now, do you have a rule that it's one song per act per countdown? Because I would be all Olivia Newton-John. Like, in other words, can you have multiple songs by the same act in the same countdown? There were two Madonna songs in the 80s show. Okay. As, as, as it turned as, out, they were back-to-back. Interesting. All right. I didn't know that was going to happen until right. I flipped the cards over. And I was like, oh, I've got a Madonna. I love the card flipping over moment. Okay, so 
As uh, people that listen to this podcast regularly know, I recently had repaired a jukebox that I bought in 1989 that was made in 1970. I bought it in 1989 because it was always my dream to have a jukebox. It worked and played music for less than a year, and then it broke down, and I couldn't find anyone to fix it. But I held on to it because it lit up and it was pretty and I still loved it. So it was in my garage for decades. And then I brought it back in because I just thought it was decorative. And then because it was on my dream board, I went to the last bookstore in L.A. on the last day of the year, 2020. It was on my 2019 dream board or 2021. Uh, Anyway, I wanted to go to the store and I never did. So the last day of the year, I'm like, let's do this. I got some friends to go with me, Glenn and Danny. And I'm like, it's on my dream board. We got to go. So when I'm there, there's all these 45s in, in like wrappers and like not in a box in a corner. Like, oh, this is a thing. I need to get that jukebox fixed. I'm going to try again. Cause I've tried throughout the years to find somebody, but it's hard, right? right. I could, I struck out. Right. So I went home and I typed in jukebox repair, da, 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 da. I found a guy who was able to come to my house two days later because he was going to be in the neighborhood. He owns the exact same model in his home wow. as my jukebox. He was reasonable. He was great. He took parts of mine home with him to work on and then bring back. Long story short, my jukebox works again. So That's I have been, intense, I've been in a f- similar frenzy of you have been, which is discovering these old songs, going on eBay, losing my mind. My, <laughs> my thing is probably cheap or more expensive than yours, but super meaningful and super fun. And we have a lot of overlap in our song choices. But one thing I wanted to talk to you about is in the digital age, I have not figured out how to take songs into my heart. Like when you used to buy them or you would hear them on the radio, like I I could do what I'm doing with my jukebox with a Spotify playlist. I know I could do that, Mm. but it doesn't turn me on. It doesn't feel like something about being able to hold the thing and the liner notes. You're holding up an album, which we're going to talk about in a second. Like there's something I can't. I haven't figured out how to take digital music into my heart. Sometimes I'll fall in love with a song and I'll download it or I'll add it to a playlist and I'll forget it exists. And I loved it when I did it. But music sounds different nowadays. I love vinyl because there's a richness and an aliveness to it that just is not there with digital. I will only be able to take the decade countdowns um, into the 2000s because I, around Katy Perry, right. uh, around 2009. <laughs> she ruined everything. Everybody started to sound the same. It sounds like the same girl yelling at me about how strong she is. And it sounds like they opened a tuna can and this girl with blue hair pops out. And she's like, I'm so strong. And so wait, you're not, you don't love Teenage Dream? That's a classic pop song. Um, I didn't say I... <laughs> I'm not This is a gotcha now. question. This is a gotcha question. <laughs> I do like California Girl. Yeah. That song could quite possibly be in my 2000s countdown if, in fact, it was released. It came out in 2010, I think. Although maybe you can squeeze it in. Maybe it can be your bonus because you do do a bonus it could song. Be, could be my bonus right. song. But that's interesting. There's something about the way songs sound. There's something about the way we buy them or embrace them or take well, them into our hearts. I think you hit the nail on the head. You have a hard time taking the music into your heart because I don't think the heart is there, quite frankly. 
My heart? When was the last? No, the heart and the music. Oh. I don't think... <laughs> Do you yes. think I'm a cold, Dennis. dead? I'm no. dead inside now? No. Uh, no that was the time we were having dinner in a diner sometime in North Hollywood, and, and the light left my eyes, and you still remember that? Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that um, I think the music is not as heart-filled nowadays as maybe it used to be. And doing this research on songs, going, I went... I, I did the 80s first, then I did a 90s show, and then I went back to the 70s. Right. And you can hear the progression of what the music became. The 70s was the last decade, really, where it was about music. It was about instruments. It was about, I want to hear a good singer put this song over. Right. There wasn't a lot and, that technology could make up for. Right. Then the 80s came along and things really started to shift. And then the 90s, you know, went even more in that direction. And then the 2000s, and it's like we're living in a big computer now and everything sounds like you push a button and there's a song. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's different. Um, but I also feel like maybe young people would be like, no, this is, I think it's a generational thing and we all have our our ways of well, we're uh, nostalgic for what for we what were we remember. With. Yes, exactly, and that's you know that's yeah. that's the youth of these kids. I yeah. get it, but I don't love it, and I yeah, you know, it's yeah. I don't even know who anybody is in pop music anymore. Right, millennial kids don't know what it's like to go to a record store and go to a listening station and like how how fun that was. But maybe we're just old fuddy duddies and we don't get it. But um, I just don't think it's as fun to put together a Spotify no, I playlist. Disagree. I disagree because every now and then you'll see something about, oh, I've discovered vinyl and it's so wonderful. Yeah. He did not discover vinyl. It's been here all along. <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to break it to you. Right. Um, one of my favorite parts of the countdown is hearing your personal stories and how they connect to the songs. Um, what has that been like? Do, you, do songs ever bring you back to like, I forgot about that moment until I heard that song? So... Did you remember things you had forgotten about as you were working on this project? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, not specific moments, no. Right. Uh, but it's am amazing to me how integral to my memory and my youth, which is still going strong, by the way, is uh, tied to... Um, is tied to the songs. I remember, for example, uh, Walk Like an Egyptian. Right. I had sort of forgotten that there was this song that everybody kept talking about at school, but I had not heard it, so I didn't know what they were talking about. And then a little later on, I heard it on the radio, and I was like, oh, my God, that's the song that everybody at school has been talking about. So it was, it was fun to remember that, yeah. Right. And, you know, then there are... There are songs that are important to me now that I could not stand back in the day. For example, um, With or Without You. I did not like that song when it first came out. It was everywhere. It was a bummer. It drug me It down. was very it earnest, right? It was you two at its most it. earnest. Yeah. Right. And right? then, um, uh, you know, years later, I uh, got myself into a relationship with Guy, and uh, he's no longer alive. And uh, this song reminds me of him. And uh, what we went through together is in that song. So when I hear it now, even though he was not part of my upbringing, he 
came along later in my life, when I hear it now, I think about him. And it, the song strikes me in a completely different way. Right. It's much and more valuable now. That's, oh, absolutely. I yeah. get what he was singing about. I didn't get it before I couldn't. I didn't have a reference point for those ideas and those feelings at the time. Well, these connections to these songs, they feel like assets. They feel like things that we have that, that can't be taken away in a way, right? These connections. And so revisiting them is, is very meaningful. Um, in the current countdown, you tell a few personal stories that really moved me. Um, the, talk about the Firefall song uh, as much as you're comfortable talking about. Oh, okay. So um, last summer, I was on a bus going across town. I live in Philadelphia. And um, this guy got on, a bu- got on the bus and he wasn't wearing a mask. And um, you, you could see in his eyes that he was someone who found delight in being contrary Right. I um, ran into a few of those people in different places in public and they were scary, but I did not, it did not go as far as what you did, but I could see the potential for that. And it's a, it's a certain, they come in really hot. They're coming in super hot. Well, he, he, he was looking for trouble. Right. You could see that in his eyes and yes. he found a joy in that. And that was clue number one and he wasn't wearing a mask and he came all i was sitting at the back of the bus all the way against the window because i didn't want to be around anybody and uh he comes about three quarters of the way through the bus and he looks at everybody looking at him and he says to the entire bus no i'm not going to put on a mask and i want to cough on every single person on this bus and then he sits down next to me and i didn't want to sit next to him so i waited a few stops and i got up to move. I didn't say anything. I kept it moving. And uh, I made physical contact with him as I was stepping out into the aisle. Right. And uh, he didn't like that. And uh, I got a few steps away and I heard, you don't uh, brush past me and not say, excuse me. And I felt my shirt being pulled back and this confused me greatly. And I turned around and he clocked me in the face and oh. broke my nose on both sides uh, and he also broke my eye right here. And uh, that took me down in my head. It took me down on my face and it took me down in my head. Yes. And uh, I had a really hard time with it. My anger exploded on the inside and I didn't know what to do with it. And just could not get out of this really dark place in my mind. I stayed there for a really long time. And uh, one morning, uh, I woke up, and the the lyrics to um, a song were just sitting in the middle of my mind. Not like fluid, like thoughts can be. You know how a a thought passes through your mind? Right. This was sitting like an ember in the forefront of my mind. And I was like what is this song? I don't know this song. I mean, I'm, I must have heard it somewhere. Right, but it's not it like you had the be. record at home. No, this is right. not a song that I knew the title of, nor knew what group sang it. And the lyrics were, just remember I love you, and it'll be all right. And uh, I Googled that, and it, it's a song called Just Remember I Love You by Firefall. And um, it helped me. It helped me a lot. And um, I think I think the higher power sees what we go through, and I think I was struggling in a really edgy kind of way, and 
it let me know that it saw. Right. Well, and that helped me turn things around a little bit. I, I'm so sorry that happened to you because it's it's not just an accident. It was coming from a place that meant so much more about the world that we live in, the time we're in. Like it wasn't just like you you got hurt. Something so. Well, this person decided, made a decision. Now, I'm an adult. I can look at my part in something and see where I screwed up. I screwed up. I made contact with this person, and I did not say anything. I just kept it moving. Now, did I deserve what I got? No. I don't think I did. No. You know, it's... uh, I don't know. It's a tricky thing to talk about. Sure. But um, I think but, it's cool that you were able to share it on the, the countdown. This guy is still out there and he right. got away with it. He got off the bus immediately after it happened. And I'm sitting there with blood running down my face and people just looking at me like I was a freak from planet Mars. And he's out there and he thought that it was okay to do that, you know, and he thought it was funny and, I don't know. It just um, and there was no never do that to somebody. Yeah, and, and there was. Let me tell you something. No this, accountability. This, this me too thing. I not thing. I'm not trying to. What I'm trying to say about that is that I don't see how a woman who is violated ever recovers from that because this mofo violated me. But a woman who is violated and she is violated internally like that. Oh my God! How does a woman live with that? God bless anybody who has been through something like that. It really made me see that in a completely different perspective. Right. And just how traumatizing things like that can be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yet this song was a little bit of a gift, was a little bit of a breadcrumb to something better, right? Yeah. And it's such, such a beautiful song. I never had any kind of relationship with that song until that morning. And now I listen to it and I'm like, my word, what a beautiful song with a beautiful message. Another time in the countdown, I got goosebumps is a song related to your father and his passing. Yeah, there's a couple of those. Yeah. Um, which one? <laughs> well, it's closer. It was um, Uchai. Are we talking about the actual death or are we talking no, about the we're funeral? No, ta- we're talking about the funeral. <laughs> yeah, so um, after my father's funeral, uh, my father uh, in New Year's Eve 2002 just dropped dead of a heart attack in a cemetery at somebody else's funeral. And uh, when we were at his funeral, my mother and I were the the last two left in the cemetery. Everybody was gone. And uh, we got in the car and it was, uh, you know, that, that what, what now feeling. And uh, I turned on the ignition and there was uh, silence. There was not a DJ speaking, there was not a commercial, there was not the end of another song, there was nothing, there was just silence, and then uh, Ooh Child by the Five Stair Steps played, and I was like, well, okay, there's a there's a message. And, um, uh, yeah. I, that, was a, that was a nice moment. I remember times we've spent together that had these sort of hints of some meaning, bigger meaning, that that I get from you, which I find very meaningful. I remember we went to this show. It was about a couple that were near the World Trade Center at 9-11, and they were having an affair, and they decided to use nine, to pretend they died in the thing. The and mercy seat. Yeah, the mercy seat, right. right. So we were at this show, and 
during intermission or afterwards, you go, you know, I looked at my watch at one point during the show, and do you know what time it was? And I said, no. And he goes, 9-11. And I said, what do you think that means? And you said, I think it means we're in the right place. And so when things like that happen to me, I think, oh, I think that means I'm in the right place. I find it comforting. Um, I find coincidence uh, as a conduit to believing that I'm in the right place at the right time. I find it, it's, you know, who's to know what, what things really mean, but it's comforting in the moment and that counts for something, right? Um, I don't want to paint the, the picture that these countdowns aren't super fun because they are. <laughs> you, went, you went to the Saturday Night Fever disco. You I went did. to the real one. I did. It was called, um, I think in the picture, it was called Odyssey 2000. Right. Uh, when I first moved to New York City, I had an apartment uh, in Windsor Terrace, Brooklyn. And uh, that nightclub was still open at that time. It was called Spectrum then. This was around 90, 97, 98. Right. And uh, sometimes I would go out there and I would uh, dance on that dance floor. The same dance floor that Tony Monero picked. Now, I would not have picked the Saturday Night Fever song that you chose. I would have... <sighs> I song. You do. You love it. Even yes. though the artist that sang it didn't love it as much. She didn't love the song. Apparently. We're talking about Yvonne Elliman, who kind yes, of had that are. thing of like, oh, I'm in this disco trifle. But it was her biggest mm-hmm. hit ever. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, I think back... Chagrin, I, I believe. I think back a lot about celebrities who got a little bit too big of too big in their head around the thing that made them famous. Your Suzanne Summerses, your Farrah Fawcett's, your David Caruso's, your Yvonne Elman's, perhaps your Gingers. Uh, it's just an interesting thing, like when they decide, "Oh, I've blown up, and now it's on to bigger and better things," or something. I don't know. It's an interesting phenomenon. It's so interesting to me when someone doesn't like the thing that made their career. Yeah. I, on the one hand, I get it. Like Tina Louise, I talk about this a little bit in the 70s show. She never really liked what Ginger had done to her career. I right. think she fancied herself, you know, a higher uh, caliber of actor than being a sitcom actor. But it is so hard just to get the sitcom job. So it fascinates me when people have a little bit of animosity towards the thing that, that made their career. But I can also see on the flip side, the frustration that she must feel at 80 never. And, you know, people still think of her as ginger. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I love how diverse your countdowns are. Like in your eighties countdown, it's tell it to my heart at number 20. And then Ronnie Millsap's smoky mountain rain at number 19. Like <laughs> that's what it's called growing up in the South. It's called growing up in the South. But what I love about your countdown is you're not at all trying to be cool. You didn't go, Oh, no. this came in at number 14 with my note cards, but it's so square. I can't possibly do this. But well, no. the heart wants what it wants, and it's my <laughs> 70s countdown. It's not everybody else's right. 70s countdown. And in a way, it's been, uh, it's been good to do these things, not to please the audience, but just out of the curiosity yes. of what the, what the songs are for me. What uh, songs and, came in way higher in your index card system than you ever thought they would? Oh, I had not seen Uptown Girl coming in as high as it did. On it's a jam. I know. But a song like that is so ubiquitous that I almost roll my eyes at it and don't really consider it. But that's a song that when I sat down and really listened to it 
and listen to what all the little pieces were that went into making that song, coupled with how I felt about the song at the time, it really pushed it up there in the countdown. Yeah, I love it. So that that's an example of that. It's the best song on that album, I think, for, for Billy Joel. You've also got the video with Christy Brinkley kind of doing the choreography and the, the best she can. Trying to do the choreography. <laughs> <laughs> trying, Dennis. But I, I remember my friend Paris, uh, my, one of my best friends back in the day, uh, doing imitating her doing those steps and us laughing <laughs> and it's a great memory i remember singing it in one of those booths where you would pay to make a cassette we did a lot of that back in the uh late 80s that was our jam i loved it, it was my happy place i i still have those tapes somewhere um but yeah that song was was a was a big deal to me so um it's it's crazy like that i would not have picked your same carpenter song but i love that carpenter song I think I, I would have gone with Goodbye to Love, maybe, or I Won't Last a Day Without You. It's tough. Which is on your jukebox, I noticed. It is on my jukebox. Thank you. I sent Scott screen grabs of my jukebox labels. And I have a labeling system. Some good stuff in there. This is very much like what you're doing. Um, my jukebox hero guy that uh, I said, well, what do I do for labels now? Because back in the day, I typed them on a manual typewriter. This was 1989. And he goes, there's a program. So... I go to my, there's a computer program, and you type it in, and then you can choose the color of the label, you can choose the font, you can choose all wow. of these things. So I color code them. British Invasion is red. That's all I, <gasps> I know. Teen Idols are blue. Um, uh, novelty songs are gray. Because I have every one of those, Mr. President, Dickie Goodman. Do you remember those? Where they would ask a question. They would be like, they were novelty records where it would be like, Say it was about Nixon and the and the White House. Mr. President, what are you going to do for the country? Love will keep us together. And then they would play, like, songs that were hot at that time to answer okay. the thing. There was one about Jaws. There was one about the energy crisis. Anyway, I have all of those. Um, Convoy, I have this weird. You have the hustle in your oh. countdown, which is borderline novelty. But, but it made the countdown. But Walk Like an Egyptian is definitely novelty. Yes. It plays pretty high in the 80s show. Yes. I don't think of The Hustle as novelty. I'm okay. sorry. I think it's pure musical genius. See, that's why I think this countdown is important. You've gotten me to rethink The Hustle. I think it, I think it feels like novelty because it spawned a trend, like a dance, a certain dance craze, like the Macarena or some of these songs where it becomes bigger than the song itself. It's like a thing. The streak. Remember when people streaking? Yes. That was uh, Ray Stevens. The, the streak. Because of a pop song, I'm going to run naked through my neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> that was the 70s. I love it. I love it. I love it. So um, British Invasion is a label. I have female vocals, male vocals. I kind of, it, then my, my groups stuff, but I have different colored labels. Like I do have a system and I might have friends over to play my jukebox, but for some reason, I think I'm just doing this for me. I find it very fun and meaningful. And it's kind of like, what you're doing with your countdowns. What has it meant to you to have this project? It has meant to me learning something about myself that I didn't know I had. Which is, um, which is the ability to put these together and to perform them so well. It has meant to me a way to say this is who I am and this is what I think. It's, you know, it's been a way for me to own my voice. Yeah. Full stop, really. My actual voice and my theoretical voice of opinion. 
Right. It's been a good, it's been a good exercise for me in uh, learning to trust that because I've started um, mostly in my, it, it started in my forties uh, putting out my own work, you know, for years as an actor or a performer, you try to get invited to somebody else's party. So, right. you, you know, this is somebody else's metaphorical show business party for a job. Right. And, uh, I had an acting teacher one time say, you know, show your own party, throw your own party and the right people will show up. So in my forties, you know, I, I've made a film, I've been hired to write a couple of shows here and there, and I've been putting together these countdowns and, uh, it's been a good exercise in owning my perspective and just putting it out there and not really caring what other people think about it. And throwing your own party. And what I found, when you first told me you were doing it, I thought, oh, this will be fun to listen to. It's so fun to listen to, and it's so interesting. <laughs> and it's so like, well, I wouldn't have picked that. I think this. It reminds the listener of their own opinions, and it brings, it makes right. them engage in a way of like, oh, well, this isn't the Dolly song I would have picked. But whatever. Good, you do you, Scott. Or whatever. <laughs> but, oh, I hope it's this. Or, or it just reminds you of what songs mean to people. You know, I, I've done a fair amount of exploration into mindfulness and meditation type things in the last, I don't know, five or six years, born out of a, a kind of period where I was uh, a little bit lost. And part of what these things talk about is this idea of rumination and thinking about the past and the future and how not productive it is. But music kind of keeps you in the moment in a way because the song's going along and you're with it. I think there's something about music, especially if you're playing it, if you're the musician, that kind of keeps you in the moment in a way that's good for you as a human. Do you have any thoughts on this idea of music as sort of a mindfulness, meditation, present grounding thing? Well, we could cut so, this long pause out. <laughs> I know. Suddenly, I'm Brene Brown, but you can know, we cut it out if I don't have a, a good answer for it. What is? Does music help? How does? <laughs> here's the question: How does music help you, day to day? Music helps me uh, with company. You know, it's uh, it, it's been a, a time of isolation for all of us at the same time. And uh, it's been interesting to revisit these songs because, you know, we're listening to, this is the soundtrack of our lives. We all have different favorites from the Hot 100 from 1987, but we all know the songs on the Hot 100 from 1987. Right. So it's, I love listening to the radio because it makes me feel like there's somebody there with me. Right, because somebody's playing this in some place. And there's some Mm -hmm. DJ, like, in my hometown, we had the Top 20 Countdown on KDJI, the local radio station, hosted by Radio Roy. And I loved to listen to it, and I was always call in and win the Pizza Hut pizza. Like, (laughs) they got a little sick of me, but I don't know if anyone else was listening. But as I was putting together my jukebox, I found a 45 of Ready to Take a Chance Again by Barry Manilow. And it was the same song on both sides, so you know it was a promo. And it was signed to Dennis Radio Roy. And I... Wow. Oh, my... I'm getting emotional just thinking about that. Um, yeah, that's so weird, right? That just... Because wow. I remember being that kid on the phone, right? Right. That's why... Talk about something, because I got blubbering. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like doing the shows because 
you get to go back to that time and you get to really study the time. And when this song was popular, I was at this point in my life. And, whoa, when this song was in the top 10, it was right next to this song. I don't associate those two songs being the same time period at all. For example, Cher hit number one with Believe after Britney Spears went to number one with Hit Me Baby One More Time. And I do not remember it that way at all right Cher feels like the old and britney feels like the new well exactly right but um yeah i I didn't remember uh those two songs being anywhere near each other at number one at all let alone Cher coming after fascinating to me yeah fascinating what were some of the other favorite fun facts that you learned because when you dive into these research you learn fun things about well this song wasn't meant for this person or was there anything that really shocked you um, you know, what really shocked me was that ABBA only had one number one hit in the United States. Of all the ABBA songs that exist, and we all know them, only one of them went to number one. And I could not believe it when I read that. I heard that in your countdown, and I was like, I think I can live with this statistic if the number one song that they got is the one that I wanted to be. Okay. And, it, and it was. It was. Okay. It was. However... There's a song, an ABBA song in my jukebox right now that had to go in there because it was in my neighbor's jukebox when I was growing up, and I had jukebox envy so badly. And that, of I course, that one. What is it? SOS. Uh, that was in my okay. neighbor's the Guttery's jukebox, and I. There are certain songs that I hear on the radio. I'm like, oh, that's a jukebox song. That was in the Pizza Hut jukebox. Um, <gasps> Dennis, I worked at Pizza Hut and I played the jukebox. <laughs> what were the songs? What were the song? What songs are Pizza oh Hut jukebox God. songs? Well, First of all, I grew up in Union County, North Carolina, so there was a lot of country. Sure, of course. I remember Reba McIntyre, I, I would go put my dollar in and I would play Whoever's in New England. Right. And uh, what's the one with the kids down the hall? Somebody Should Leave. Oh, yeah. I would play that. I remember, I didn't ever play it, but I remember Criss Cross, uh, jump, jump. Is that Chris yeah, that's Chris Cross with a K. I yeah. thought you meant Christopher Cross uh, no, sailing. No, no. But you know what? Both would be at home on your countdowns because you know what? The doors are wide open. There not are acts. Cross. I did not like that. Song. You were a fan. <laughs> there are so many acts on your countdown that I'd never really heard of. Like that the people that sang Beach Baby. Like I knew that <gasps> song. I knew I'd heard of it, but that I couldn't song. tell you who sang it oh. or what. I couldn't even tell you what decade it was from. It was certain things. Seventy four. Yeah, certain things were really big in your world, and I was like, I think I've heard of this, but I might and not. I, I, I have to blow up something from the countdown. Sure. That song, you, you want to talk about fun facts that yes. we learned? I associate that song with nothing but the sound of Southern California. Yes. Pop, richness, and all its glory. And that song was 100% a product of the United Kingdom, and I yeah. had no idea Yeah. all this time that that song came from across the pond. None. Um, there are so many Elton John songs you could have put on your countdown. Uh, and the one that, 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 that scored the highest was a surprise to me because it was um, very meaningful, very beautiful. But it's, beautiful it's, not, it's not what you think of as a hit. And, it, and so talk it about that. It wasn't the, a hit. Yeah, talk about that song. Uh, I just remember when 
when that song came out, being really affected emotionally by the video. We're talking about the last song, which is the on... The last song by Elton John. Your 80s it's countdown. In, it's in the 90s countdown. Oh, it's in the 90s countdown. It was, it was early 90s. Yeah. That is correct. Um, what was the video just, like? I don't remember the video. It's a, a, a boy dying of AIDS, and his father comes to visit him. And, like, you know, they've had a, a strained relationship, and, you know, ice breaks, and they're together, and... I'm presuming the boy dies, but the lyrics to that song and thinking about what that song means and that so many lives were passed out of under such lonely circumstances because of a virus that nobody wanted to talk about or acknowledge or give any dignity to. Right. That's heartbreaking. And um, I really applaud um, Elton John for doing that song. Right. Brilliant, brilliant song. Oh, with that soaring chorus. Because I never thought I'd lose. Ugh, it's a lot. It's a lot. My Elton, see, I have a ton of Elton, and a lot of it's going in the jukebox. Okay. Um, What's interesting about Elton was the first album I ever bought in a store with my own money, Greatest Hits. And as a kid, I loved the more fun songs like Crocodile Rock. But as an adult... I'm like, uh, don't let the sun go down on me. Like the the more, uh, I guess I've grown up with my so, my taste of Elton John. And someone saved my life tonight, which I don't think is on Greatest Hits Volume One, but it is in the jukebox because that was also a Guttery jukebox song in my neighbor's jukebox. So. Elton John is an artist uh, whom I you know you, you know of Elton John, and I always kind of he always his work never really spoke to me. Interesting. The, the older I get, the more I realize that this man sings about the pain of adulthood. And you you can't understand that when you're a kid. But the with time, I get where he was coming from. And he, you know, it's easy for me to talk about female singers uh, and actresses. It's harder for me to talk about the male side of things. But I think that Elton John's probably my favorite male pop singer. Interesting. Because he, he's got the goods, and he knows how to put over a song, and he's got he's got quality of thought. Yeah. I have a Philadelphia Freedom in my jukebox. I also have Someone Save My Life Tonight. I also have Don't Go Breaking My Heart, because you have to. You have to. That song was so ubiquitous when it came out when I was a kid. There are certain songs that I just had to have. I had to have Love Will Keep Us Together, Captain Sunil. Because it was just like a happy pill that you that could just That song take. is like an amusement park for your ears. It if is. You sit down Every and little element. It, yes. There is so much going on in that yeah. song that you can't even separate it out. Yeah. It's like, what? what is happening in my head right now? Yeah. And maybe I bought Muskrat Love, but it's not in the jukebox. But it's on deck. Like, I have file folder. I have a system. <laughs> I have a system. It's not important. Um, so your, your jukebox is filled with 45. Yes. Fascinating. And you got the Ricky Martin song on a 45. You did. Some of the more recent artists you can find, like one or two songs, like um, Janet. I've got some, I've got a lot of Janet, but it cuts off at a certain point. Ricky Martin, I live in La Vida Loca. They want a lot of money for that. So I'm holding off uh, for a thrift shop find on that. But like, uh, I wanted to get a, I was exploring some J Lo because in my last podcast, I went on a whole J Lo um, soliloquy for 
20 minutes. Uh, and there's a few out there. That you do you like your J-Lo. I, I do, but I don't love her songs. Like, there's none that I have to have right this second where I'm like, you know what, I'll keep an eye out for that on a thrift store. But that's part of her appeal is like, her songs just aren't quite... I mean, some are, but you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, what impresses me about J-Lo is how hard she works. Yes. That is one hard-working show pony right there. Yes, she that's her whole thing. And Probably one of the most beautiful women that ever lived. For sure. And uh, we talked about my first album purchase. You are sitting in front of yours. It's been looking up at us this whole time, and you tell the story on the countdown. So talk to me about this album that's behind you. Uh, my favorite, uh, well, my the first album I ever bought with my own money was Olivia's Greatest Hits Volume 2 that I bought at the Monroe Mall in Monroe, North Carolina with my very own money. How I got money, I do not know. Uh, we were at the mall, and my mom was like, do you want to buy it? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And then we got home, and I was like, mom, I want to buy it. And she took me back. And wow, two album, trips. I, I still have it. It's all good. Every song is good. But you picked the Olivia song that I would have picked for my 70s countdown, and it is a song that I love more every time I hear it, that I think is one of the horniest songs ever written. It is so sex-addled, and it's so, come put it in me, I don't care, I know I'm weak, I know you're a brute, I've got to have the D. I've got to have your D in me. And, of course, it's A Little More Love uh, by Olivia Newton-John, right? That is correct. Because <laughs> you describe it in your countdown as, like, sultry or whatever. but it's, it's furiously sultry. Furiously sultry is how you describe it. And it is furiously. It's like, ugh. <laughs> right? And... It, and and that just that night is dragging her feet. Ah, oh, it's everything. And I love all of Olivia, but that one I think is extraordinary for its depiction of sex-addled insanity. Like just desperate for yeah, it's it. It's an intense. It's an intense song. I have always loved that song. And it was even now when I when I when I go back and listen to the show, like I. I can't always remember what's coming up next. And this song will come on. Olivia will come on. I'll be like, oh my God, I love this song. It's so good. And <laughs> yes, just yesterday, in fact, I have it in my jukebox, but I have the 45 I bought at the time. And so wow. yesterday on eBay, wow. I found a new one with the cover with her in the black pants. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, that's worth, that's worth six ninety nine. I'm going to, I, I'm out of control, Scott. And this conversation is only making me more... Uh, Dennis, Chris. I always think of you when I hear Twist of Fate. Why yeah, is that? Solid. Twist of Fate, I may have put a bit on it yesterday. Because oh. I still was hanging in for Olivia during the Two of Kind phase. I, I never bowed out. I'm always in. I'm always in. I, I almost and bought Soul Kiss. The rumor, you know what? This, my favorite song on that is Tutta La Vita, and you love Italian things, so you might like it. Oh, see. Okay. See, good to know. Because you've been also that. learning Italian, which I'm impressed with. That's very good. I started studying Italian uh, in May of 2020. Um, yes. My husband is Italian-American. We have possible plans to move to Italy someday. And uh, if there's going to be a language test, I want to be prepared for it. There you go. Please. I've been studying Spanish since oh. for about a year. Okay. Um, yeah. Fantastico. Dove? Uh, 
Oh, I, uh, I have a tutor online, and then I also do Duolingo every day. But I have an online tour that I meet once a week from Puebla. So, Puebla, Mexico. Wow. Yeah, Denise. Wow. She's cool. We spend the, I, spend, <laughs> the, I spend the first 45 minutes talking about my jukebox, and then we do a few lessons based on Encanto. It's a win-win for everybody. Um, let me look at your list of songs and, and notes that I made looking at this. Um, oh, here's a fun one. You have a bonus song in each of your countdowns, and in your 70s... I don't have a bonus song in the 80s Oh, show. yeah. I you didn't need one. The, the idea for the bonus song came along in the 90s show, and then I carried that into the 70s show. Yeah. Um, the bonus song for the 70s show is Dim All the Lights, Donna Summer. And it yes. wasn't until I heard, I, I could hear your lead up. This is what's fun about a countdown is you start talking and this artist had four and you're like, oh, I bet it's Donna Summer. I bet it's Donna Summer. You know, so it's that play along factor that is so fun about a countdown and you, and yours has that. But also Dim All the Lights. I used to do comedy sketches with Jack Plotnick, uh, uh-huh. who you know. As Evie, his character Evie, who went on to be in Girls with Be Girls. And it wasn't until I heard this countdown that I remembered. In like 98, 99, we did a, an appearance at a party that I was throwing with my friends. And Evie sang what she called her bathhouse medley. And the premise of the sketch was that Bette Midler always gets credit for performing in bathhouses. But Evie did it first. And so here are a few of her songs from the bathhouse medley. And it started with Dim All the Lights, which is so <laughs> stupid. But then it went into um, The Gambler. You know, bathhouses are a lot of fun. But if you're going to play, you got to play by the rules. you got to know when. And she turned oh, the Gambler wow. music into that. And then it went into, you know what? You guys are having a lot of fun, but let's remember the cleaning lady. She works hard for the money. Oh, like, no. And then it ended with one moment in time. But I just love, like, all of these songs about, you know, casual bathhouse sex being sung by... And, but it started with Dim All the Lights, which I had forgotten until your countdown gave me that gift back. Um, there was something else I wanted to ask you about. You said you wrote two, two fan letters in uh in your life and i'm not surprised to who they were too but uh share and dolly parton because i know you love them both did you get responses from either of them i got a response from one and not from the other one was written when i was a a small kid right Uh, that was that was the one to dolly parton i remember asking her how her sister was i remember asking her if she was coming to the charlotte coliseum anytime soon and then i asked her if i had spelled coliseum correctly uh i did not receive a personal response but i did get some kind of fan fan something or other it had a picture of dolly parton on it I'm not sure if I still have it. It might be down in North Carolina, but I'm not sure. And then, this is how bananas I actually am. I went to see the Cher concert in Vegas back in 2008. I took my brother with me, and we ended up in the front row of the concert. And, uh, you know, Cher came out, and it was like, oh, my God, one of the eight, how many wonders of the world are there? And, you know, Cher is there. And people were sitting in that audience like they were at home, eating potato chips and watching television. And I was giving Cher the love. Right. You know, I was clapping over my head and this and that. And every time she got near me, I would calm down because I didn't want to scare her away. Yeah, you don't want to scare and, the Cher. And you don't want to spook the Cher. 
she appreciated it. Right. When she came across the stage the first time, she looked at me and she gave me one of those hand gestures. And right. You're I doing thought, the I love you hand gesture, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, at certain points in the show, she would just come and stand right in front of me and sing. And uh, at the end of the show, you know, I thought it was just maybe my imagination. And at the end of the show, the lady sitting on the other side of my brother leaned over and she was like, I'm pretty sure Cher likes you. And I was like, wow. And when she did that hand thing, my brother goes, you know, that was for you, right? And I was like, what is happening right now? So when I got back to New York City, I wrote her a thank you note. And I sent it to Cher, care of Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. And needless to say, I did not get a response from that. Right. (laughs) But you know what? You, You took the energy and you put it somewhere. And I think that's meaningful. And I'm not surprised that Cher loved you because I had that same experience. I had seen her in L.A. with a bunch of gay L.A. guys losing their minds. And then you go to Vegas and they're just killing time between casino stops, right? right. It's a whole different vibe. And you're like, people, it's get on your Cher. feet. It's fucking Dark Lady. Stand the fuck up. But you they weren't. I'm yeah. not sure. I, so I've seen her three times. I saw the Vegas in residency twice. Right. And then the third time I saw her Dress to Kill tour when she went to the Meadowlands in Jersey. And that tour was even bigger. Wow. Even, even bigger than the residency in Vegas. And I was floored by that. How is that paper mache elephant holding up? Because I worry about that thing. You know, it's 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 seen a lot of shows, right? But you've got to have it. It's like the jaw shark at the Universal tour. You 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 right. know it's old and probably falling apart, but you got to have it. You need it. Right. What has been the reaction to the people that have heard the countdown? What surprised you about it? Well, number one, without a doubt, without fail. Anybody that gets back to me is like, you sound like this person. And I did not see that coming in any way, shape, or form. It, they say that I sound like a specific DJ who was really well-known for doing countdowns. Yes, I think it. Countdowns. I think so. Can we say it out loud? Does it bother I mean, you? It, I feel like... It, it does bother me. Right. Because I'm not trying to sound like this right. person or be this person. I just do what comes out of me when I sit down in front of the microphone right. the script. I just um, think, I think it's because you're imparting the same kind of information. And also there's a rhythm or something, but I get it. I get why they're saying that. But yeah. I think, I think you should take it as a compliment. Not I do take it as a compliment, and, and but that, I feel like I just don't want people to think that that's my goal because right. it's not. No. It's just me doing my version of this it's i mean people people say the casey Kasem thing right and it's uh maybe subconsciously i picked up on i mean because who didn't listen to casey no Kasem of course religiously when they were a kid right but you're not but consciously I, going for that no when right. i sit down to write the script i i write it because I, I write it and i write it how i know i'm gonna say it right i, I sort of do the intonations when i'm writing it so that when i get to the recording of it. I don't have to spend time figuring out how to say it. Yeah. Um, maybe subconsciously I picked up on his rhythms. I don't do it on purpose. Right. I don't want people to think I'm being disrespectful or anything like that. And also something that really surprised me is how, how much people are interested in the shows. It really boggles my mind because they're delightful. I mean, it's my, it's my 
countdown who you know unless you know me who really cares but i've gotten a few messages from complete strangers who have been like i really like your show right i had that experience like oh i want to listen to this thing scott did and then i'm like he needs to do this every week like i I was i was like so into it more than i thought i would be and i knew i would like it but it was kind of like there's something so winning about it and it's so pleasurable to listen to i think it's because at the end of the day, it's about love. It's about loving something. I do these shows because I love the music. Yes. And I take the time to really put together a thoughtful show because as much as I want people to stay away, I also love people. And this is a, a way for me to reach people and tell people what's in my heart and in my mind. And often I find that when somebody shares with me, I find some kind of identification with what they're saying or what they're going through. And I think that, I think that the love comes through. Yeah. I think Madonna was right. Music makes the people come together. Right. That's, that's another countdown. Here's, I know. Here's something I learned from my jukebox foray. I like Shear's version of the name of the game way better than the ABBA version. Interesting. It's just sultry. Talk about, it's not as furiously sultry, but it is sultry. She doesn't need the D as bad as Olivia needs it in Olivia uh, in a little more love. <laughs> so, do you know Gimme, Gimme, Gimme on yeah. the, the share? The, man, that bass drop about three quarters of the way through where the song just stops and it's like the universe explodes and yeah. the song keeps going. I can't handle it. I cannot handle it. <laughs> I cannot handle it. Cher knocked that ABBA album out of the park. Like, it wasn't a throwaway, I cash grab, let's just give her some karaoke tracks. They brought a lot of magic to it, and it's so good. Um, This is, Cher is, she and and Dolly, in a way, are the ultimate showbiz success stories for different reasons. But Cher has the longevity, and she has every game she's played in this business, she somehow got to the top of. And you cannot, and she's done it, I think, with with dignity yes and there is a heart that comes through her work that is perhaps missing in the work of other one named uh super pop divas i know yeah we're on the same page on that thing yeah and uh and she's still doing it she's still doing her thing her tweets i'm following and she's working on stuff you know we'll see what happens um tell people how they can listen to these wonderful countdowns so there's this thing called soundcloud.com. And if you go there, you just search Scott T. Henson, uh, S-C-O-T-T-T period, H-I-N-S-O-N. And uh, I have three shows up there so far. I did the 80s first. I did the 90s. And then I went back to the 70s. That's right. Those three shows are up there. I'm working on the 60s now, which arguably is the greatest decade of pop music that there is. And right. It's going to be a tricky countdown to do. I might have to do two. And Interesting. I have to do a forty to twenty-one, and then a twenty-one to one, or a nineteen sixty to nineteen sixty-four, and then a sixty-five to sixty-nine. Right. Because that decade of music is where you really see the biggest change in the country and right. what people were listening to. Because you know, at the beginning of the decade, it was all about you know a summer place and the twist, and then bam, Kennedy's gone, and then right. Beatles show up, and then you've got Hate Ashbury in the late sixties and British Invasion, and there's so much, yeah. so 
such richness in the 60s. Well, and then uh, I'm going to go back to the future and do uh, the two Ks. The two Ks. I, I got I, you. Here's the confession. My yes. 60s favorite band, Herman's Hermits, not the Beatles. Because that's what my brother's own daughter. Oh yeah, there's a kind of hush. All of it. Um, mm-hmm. My brothers had all of their records, so I was super into them before I even knew who the Beatles were. But anyway, this is all the kind of stuff that we think about when you're listening to your countdown. I hope people go listen to them. I love talking about this stuff with you. I love that you're doing these. They move me. They delight me. And um, I love that we got to talk about. And I loved just any excuse to talk about my jukebox. I will take any excuse. Here's my final question. Okay. You're visiting Los Angeles. You're coming to my house. Yes. There is a song in my jukebox that makes you so happy. I could assume it's one of your number ones, but I'm not going to. What song is that? How What's... will I know? <gasps> it's what already in there. I don't have to yes. shop for anything. Really? That's your jukebox song? Well, it's, it's a fantastic song. It really and is. And it's already in your jukebox. It's already right? there. <laughs> so, okay. Cause I'm so willing, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go on eBay for you if I need to, but that's why you love it. Um, I love that. You know, another Whitney song I love? Love will save the day. And here's why. When I was first in Los Angeles, I took dance classes with Annette Cardona, Cha Cha Di Gregorio. Yes. And that was a big, deal for me because I think what I learned in that class allowed me to get my job on the cruise ships as a dancer. And it, it just like, it's, it sort of opened up my world, but that song she would play in every class and we would do a cl- across the floor to it. And so it's hard for me to put it on my jukebox without having to do certain steps across my living room. And let me just tell you, I dance around a lot in my house now instead of watching cable news. I think that's an improvement. Man, is that a step in the right direction? <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm going to put on. I can, I can either watch Rachel Maddow or I'm going to put on Hey Deanie by Sean Cassidy. And here's the other thing about my jukebox: sometimes it doesn't play the right song, and sometimes the volume goes up and down. <laughs> it has a mind of its own, and um, yeah, so that's part of its charm, I think. Is it in your in your living room? It is. is it? it is in my living room, in like the dining room area where there would be a dinette, but instead there's kind of an wow. office area. So, right. yeah, it's there. Cool. It's waiting for you. How will I know? We'll be there. Well, I definitely am going to have to come out to North Hollywood to check out this jukebox. For sure. I'm All right. I'm into it. I'm into it. Tens- All right. Tensley would say I'm into it. Scott Hansen, <laughs> is that what I say? Is that one of my things? All right. That's a good you thing. Say I'm into it. I'm into it. I like it. All right. Thank you for this. Uh, I love talking Thank to you. you. I love your countdowns. Um, and uh, I hope everyone goes and listens to them. Thank you, Dennis. Bye. Just talking to you. Bye. Thanks again to Scott T. Henson for doing the podcast and for creating his wonderful countdowns. You can find them on SoundCloud. And I will also try to post a link on the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. So check that out as well. All right, so this happened. Um, Not a super uh, busy week for me in terms of fun stuff, although I've been working very hard. Um, But I did see the movie Dog with Channing Tatum. And I'm a fan of the Chan. I like the Chan uh, I like the movie, and it's not the the wacky road comedy with a dog that you think it's going to be. Uh, it's got a lot more on its mind. But um, I like to pretend that I'm friends with Channing Tatum, and I call him Chan. Uh, he lets me. He's cool with it. And I can't wait for his Sandra Bullock movie, um, The Lost City, which is coming out later this month. I feel like it's everything I need in a movie. It's a little bit romancing the stone. 
Uh, Sandy Bullock is always a favorite. She looks very thin in the trailers, but the jokes land even in the trailer. Because sometimes in the trailer, the jokes don't land. And then you see the movie and you're like, oh, that's funny. But um, I'm into it. So I will be there probably opening weekend. I think, I, don't, I mean, I don't have that much going on. It's not the Oscars or anything like that. Or it might be. Might be Oscar weekend. Wow, that'll be fun. And I'm also excited about the Oscars being in person. I was reading an interview today with Amy Schumer and... I watched a little promo with the hosts, and they look like they might be fun, and I'm just excited. Celebrities in person. We didn't have the Golden Globes this year because they got canceled, and I don't know. I'm into it. I want to see the outfits. I want to see the speeches. I'm kind of bummed that they cut a bunch of speeches out of the show, but maybe it'll be good. I don't know. I feel like we all know it's going to be long. It's like, that's what the Oscars is, and we all complain about it, but... I think you're real movie lovers. You're in for all of it, you know? And then people are like, well, I'd watch it if it were only two hours. No, you wouldn't. You're not that into it. So let the movie lovers love everything about Oscar. It's their thing. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a massive rating success, although they think it does. But, you know, it's fine the way it is. I don't know. People are always changing it, and then we're like, they need to change it. Oh, don't change it. They try. You know, you can't win. I guess that's the point. But... I'm excited to see it. And I feel like Best Picture could go any number of directions. So I'm curious to see. Uh, I kind of love The Power of the Dog. I'm into that. I thought that Sam Elliott quote where he said that he didn't like it because it was a bad Western or I don't know. I thought it was so funny because it proved the point of the movie, which is that there's this toxic macho bullshit stuff that causes problems for everybody <laughs> forever. Kind of like the war we're in. Um... But Sam, I don't know. He just thought he made the point of the movie by having a problem with it. Anyway, um, that's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.